All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's an NFL podcast on the Overtime Media Network, mm. broadcasting from the Vivid Seats Lounge. I'm Doug Norrie, that is. James Davis, straight lounging. <laughs> we are done with week one, buddy. It's in the books. We have a ton to talk about. We're going to recap it. Everything worked out exactly as I thought it was going to be. I, I, let me mm. roll down. So if you're, we're looking at the week one leaders right now. I mean, this has played out exactly as I thought it would be. Most passing yards, Andy Dalton, standard. Most, Most rushing passing yards, touchdowns, Lamar Jackson. Mar- <laughs> Lamar Jackson, we'll get to him in a second. Victory lap coming on that one pretty soon. Don't want to bury that one. Uh, most rushing yards, of course, Marlon Mack. I think we all knew that was going to be yeah. coming down the pike for him. Most pass, most receiving yards, Sammy Watkins, duh. Most targets, Jamison Crowder, easy, easiest layup of all time. That those were that was four for four where I was coming from. <laughs> did, did week one did week one play out the way you expected to when it's all, when it was all said and done? Yeah, I would say pretty much. I mean, you you left out the the single marquee tight end of the season, T.J. Hawkinson uh, from Detroit. So yeah, we've got <laughs> yeah. familiar names on top of the leaderboards at all yeah. uh, at all positions. So yeah, just all systems go as we barrel on to week two here. All right, so I think we there's all after week one. There's going to be um, a massive amount of just like you know people just kind of writing the rest of the season in pen <laughs> about what's going to happen based on things mm-hmm. that happened in week one. That's always a mistake. Um, there are there's going to be things that were just outliers. Of course, there are going to be things we can learn too. We're going to try to go through some things that happened in week one that we think we can take. I don't know, take information away from and make good use of it going forward. I think we can look at some other situations and say to ourselves, that's not likely to repeat. And there's going to be some things that would fall in between. Uh, there's there's just tons of stuff we can get into. Um, I don't know if you have like anything that stand out to you. Should we just go Mar- Lamar Jackson first? Let's just do the, the Lamar Jackson victory lap first. Because when you when we set our lineups, we were in our uh, in user chat and premium chat, we said our lineups are locked. Lamar Jackson had was the top guy in our write-up, was 100% in all of our cash games, and we felt really strongly about that. And then when we logged into FanDuel and DraftKings at 1 p.m. and saw he was 5% or excuse me, 10% owned in cash games, what was your initial feeling before you know before the rest of the game happened? What was your feeling when you just saw the ownership in Jackson? Well, so I had a few feelings. First of all, anytime you're really low owned in week one when you're a DFS provider. It's a little bit troubling because you all of a sudden know that this week is either going to make you look like a genius or a complete idiot. <laughs> and right. so, and just things can happen in football, right? It's a one game sample size. So, you know, certainly felt a little nervous. But as I started clicking around and at the one o'clock games, I was trying to figure out who the high owned quarterbacks were. And I didn't really see anyone who is that highly owned. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I like, well, I like Jackson as well as any of these other guys that are here. And then I'm starting to look to the four o'clock slate and trying to do the math on who the chalk quarterback was, I will say, perhaps to my own embarrassment, I didn't really know what direction people were going to go. I mean, I knew that our system liked Jameson Winston, or Jameson Winston, James Winston, but I just didn't feel like he was like a straightforward chalk play. I guess the Bucks bandwagon, you know, just grinding through the whole offseason, the Chris Godwin stuff, the Bruce Arian stuff, I guess that all just came to a head because he was 61% owned in cash. And once I knew that, that those were the two guys that we're going to be sort of squaring off, or I had that general idea. I was not concerned. Um, I yep. just think, I think I said this on the podcast last, last week. I just assumed Jackson would be the highest on quarterback. And I guess this is a, maybe it's a black mark against me, but it just seemed like such an excellent play. I mean, granted, we didn't think he was going to get there uh, with a 324 yards passing on 20 attempts and five touchdowns, but um, 
but with the Miami defensive situation, you know, half that team being one foot out the door already. Uh, I yeah, I like the play. I mean, we had uh, Ingram as well, and he was only five percent owned in cash, which I also found pretty surprising. I was much I was much uh, more concerned about that one. Uh, like I, I was, was too, actually, because that that the, my concern about that bore out where he was actually, you know, it was more of a running back by committee thing. I mean, it, it's hard to say what the plan would have been if they weren't winning by fifty points. Right. <laughs> but even early on, you were seeing Edwards get touches. And uh, the other guy too, I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, but yeah, that was a little bit concerning. But Justice yeah, Hill, I mean, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, right. There was so I, when I saw the Jackson, we won't spend all the whole podcast here. There's tons of stuff to get into, but when I saw the ownership on him, I was not worried at all because I just knew the floor was high enough. Now the thing to take away from this, and we'll probably get into this when we talk some cash game and game by game breakdown later, is. The fact that he didn't do that, the fact that they just completely changed their uh, approach from what they did last year with running, he re- he barely ran. And he, and by the way, that wasn't just because we're winning kind of thing. Like he wasn't running to start the game at all, bef- well before the game was uh, just <laughs> written down and sealed. That he was that the the part of the part the the run pass option piece was just not part of what they were doing. So, in some ways. Not knowing that now, we probably maybe wouldn't have played him, I don't think. But so just to still get there, to absolutely crush it with him, was a very good feeling out of the gate. Ingram did get there on the two touchdowns. We had him as well. Uh, you know, some other guys, we can we can roll through our cash game lineups. I don't know if you want to do that uh, on some of the plays. Overall, our lineups absolutely crushed this week. Um, they Jackson was a big part of it. Ingram was a big part of it. Really, almost every guy that we rostered scored a touchdown, I believe, except for Nick Chubb on FanDuel. So uh, I guess Kittle didn't score either. But uh, all said and done, the – in the end, our overall the, the the cash game lineups that our users used were easily in quintuple ups and triple ups and all that stuff, and um, mm. so feeling feeling very very good. What other things stood out to you in from week one, and just in terms of players, um, in terms of maybe usage of things that like um, you know that you maybe you want to look at and say this is going to be something going forward, and there are some injury things we're probably going to need to get into as well, or definitely going to need to get into as well. Yeah, so I think for starters, um, the big thing I'm always looking at after week one is how opportunity is being divided up. And that's going to be where we make our biggest adjustments going into week two of our projection system with the caveat that the game script really is important as well, right? So like, we're not going to look at the Baltimore game and just assume it's going to be a timeshare between Gus Edwards and Ingram. And we're not going to be concerned that Gus Edwards outcarried Ingram because the team again won by 50 points so uh so that's a you know we'll have learned some lessons from that game but not a ton on the other hand uh you have a, t- a guy like say josh jacobs coming off the monday night game uh 23 carries he was catching balls out of the backfield as well scored two touchdowns i think we can say we can say one thing about him which is that when the game is closed it looks like he'll be a bell cow running back and if oakland were seven point underdogs going into a week I might not feel totally confident that that was going to be the case, right? So we want to be acquiring knowledge slowly. I think we want to be moving needles somewhat slowly here. Um, And, you know, I'm sure we'll go down and uh, talk about the exceptions to this rule because I do think there are a few here. And um, But that's our general approach. You know, as we're kind of sizing things up, heading into week two, if you don't happen to be one of our premium users, that's what you ought to be doing is you're kind of retooling your own model take this new information it is the most relevant information we have right but it's not the only information there there was still a lot of preseason assumptions stuff from last year and that will be heavily weighted in our system as well yeah for instance like Kirk cousins is not going to attempt 10 passes next week like that's how many he attempted this week and so you can't really look at the 
the the, excuse me, the target distribution for the Vikings and take anything from it because he threw 10 passes, right? So, like, for the, a team like that, when because I, I roll through every single team today and look at snap counts and look at target shares and try to make little ticks up and or down based on, you know, I, I looked a lot more at snap count more than anything for, to start the year because I do think snap counts, um, especially for guys that were fringe players or guys that we weren't sure about their roles, um, looking at just at least how much they were on the field can be pretty informative, even if maybe the opportunity wasn't totally there. It's not the only thing, but I think that is important to start looking at. You know, Dante Pettis was on the field for two snaps, and he was supposed to be the, the, the 49ers wide receiver one. Right. He, played two, he played two snaps. Like, you need to do a very big exclamation point sort of like panic mode if you were on the Dante Pettis train because he just did, simply didn't play, right? So um, there's lots of these little situations that you need to you need to look more. Like, you can't just give Jamison Crowder 17 targets next week, obviously, because that's just an unrealistic thing so going back and forth and trying to just each I like that you said you know game script and just all these different inputs are you need to look at the whole picture I think before you make gross uh gross adjustments let's talk a little bit actually about injuries and then maybe we can get into the some of the other performances for this week and I'll, I'll throw some out there and and you can kind of tell me if what we take from it or if it's a, a blip on the radar or you think it's something going forward but the, the some of the big news is around there were there were pretty important injuries that happened. The biggest one probably is Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is going to miss multiple weeks at minimum. Um, he, they think the, the speculation is that he'll be back sometime in the second half of the season. Maybe that's the best case scenario. But we saw Sammy Watkins come out and actually just completely tear it up. Sammy Watkins long been the you know <laughs> a guy that people have dreamed on maybe, and yeah, it showed flashes of it at times for sure with KC last year. What do we do with the KC passing game now? With easily their most explosive weapon now going to miss time, you know, do we just bump Watkins into a wide receiver one role? Do we make Kelsey like essentially he was already essentially a wide receiver one? Does he see even more? Does like do we have to do something with the running backs now? What where do you see us kind of like toggling things when it comes to KC going forward? Yeah, so for starters, Watkins I think immediately becomes a wide receiver one. We saw this last season as well. We played Watkins a handful of times uh, down the stretch last year when Hill missed a few games, and I think that you know what we saw, we didn't see anything to change our mind about that. I guess I'll put it that way. In week one there, so uh, Watkins. I mean, obviously for your season long leagues, he becomes tremendously valuable all of a sudden. You know, Mahomes just hitting him stride in stride down the field. He was a guy like you know when he was with Buffalo, people were picturing him being you know, the heir apparent up there. And he just, you know, wide receivers, we said this on the podcast last week, there's no more position in the NFL more dependent upon other players than wide receivers. So the fact that he was out there, able to go out there and catch nine of 11 balls for 198 yards, not that he'll do that again, obviously every week, but very, very promising. And I think you'll see very high ownership on him going into week two here. Yeah, I agree. I think now the price did come up because that, that, um, the results have been in before Fandle and DraftKings both put in their pricing. So his price does come up into like that mid 7,000s range. I think it's easily, probably it's easily payable. We did see Demarcus Robinson see a couple, saw 43 snaps. So maybe he's on the field a little bit more. These, these secondary options do be, kind of become important because Tyreek Hill, removing Tyreek Hill from, uh, from the Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs starting lineup does make it, they do are going to need to adjust things. Uh, pr- uh, pretty dramatically, probably uh, just from that game as well. If people were wondering about the Damian Williams, uh, the Damian Williams-McCoy split. Damian Williams carried the ball 13 times. McCoy carried it 10. So I'm not sure we learned a ton there. Damian Williams was featured much more in the passing game. He is probably also buoyed by the fact that Tyreek Hill will not be on the field. So it's just, and I mostly started with him because this KC offense is just so awesome that when you remove a guy like this, they're going to continue theoretically to be awesome. 
and it just opens up so much more opportunity uh, along the margins. Other guys, other injuries that came up here, Nick Foles left very early in the game. Gardner Minshew came in. Actually looked decent, uh, all, all things sure considered. The, the fact that, yeah, considering that really no one had ever even heard of this guy before he stepped onto the field. Um, do, what do we do with Minshew? And like, what do we do with Jacksonville's just offensive attack in general? Guys like D.D. Westbrook, we were pretty high on going in. He essentially dudded. I think he ended up catching a touchdown, but he only caught six yeah. balls for 30 yards. Kind of gets there on the touchdown. Luckily, Chris Conley was the main target. He, caught, he had seven for 97 and a touchdown as well. Uh, and then Fournette carried the ball 13 times and had also had six targets. How much do we want to adjust the Jacksonville offense I'm mentioning them too because we were high on some of these guys going into week one as well. Now they're now they are going to be without Nick Foles. Right. So I think there's a few things that we'll wind up doing. Um, first of all, Minshew was excellent. So oh, yeah. know, I don't want to mince any words there. He was just really, really good. <laughs> and that's not an easy thing to do uh, when you haven't been taking snaps with the first team. Uh, especially, I mean, this guy was a six-round pick in the draft. He's a rookie, right? So a lot going against him to be able to march out there. And not only be very efficient, which sometimes we'll see uh, quarterbacks do, just kind of dink and dumb. Averaging 11 yards per attempt is just flat out good. Like there's just no no other real way to say it. Now, granted, some of this wasn't garbage time, right? So, um, so there's that caveat. And you can imagine that Jacksonville will have a lot of opportunities to throw passes in garbage time if some of what we saw uh, yesterday or on Sunday rather is to be believed. So, um, I don't know if you want to run Minshew out there for DFS purposes. Uh, but I do think it's going to impact, you know, kind of how we imagine these targets are going to get sh- uh, spread out. Because one thing we see time and time again is that when you have a quarterback change, uh, oftentimes, especially if there's no clear number one guy, you do see targets tend to get redistributed. And we knew this would happen uh, with Foles coming on board this year. I think we all sort of pictured, I mean, judging by Westbrook's 60% ownership in cash games, um, I think many people envisioned him being the clear guy who's just going to slide right in and and start getting all the target share. Uh, but there were, let's see, five guys um, with four to uh, six players with four to six targets. And Westbrook was just kind of in that group unspectacularly, right? So uh, I don't think that you're going to just pencil him in for nine targets a game or anything going forward. Uh, guys like Chris Conley, uh, DJ Shark, um, you know, I think there's just plenty of apparently plenty of options that they're comfortable throwing to there. So uh, I am potentially just in a wait-and-see approach here on the Jacksonville receiver core. If you're headed to a game this year and you need tickets, there's only one place to go, and that's Vivid Seats. It's super easy. You go to the App Store, download the Vivid Seats app. You use the promo code OVERTIME. That's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. And you save up to $100 on all ticket purchases, first-time customers only. Once again, Vivid Seats. Use the promo code OVERTIME. It's that easy. Get tickets. Go to the game. You won't regret it. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree. I just D.D. Westbrook was, again, that was mostly speculation. Anytime it's a new quarterback in a new situation with a new set of wide receivers, you are only speculating based on coach speak and maybe some things people saw in practice. And in the end, mm-hmm. you really need to say it, you know, kind of see it out. And we kind of we nodded to that and still were fine playing Westbrook because we felt like some of the track record was going to be there. And Foles was just a much better quarterback. Yeah, and you're right. He was cheap, too. And Foles was clearly a quarterback upgrade over Bortles. Um, and it looks like sure looks like Minshew was just a quarterback upgrade over Bortles as well. So buoy to Bortles for just like no, kind of no matter who stepped into that offense, they were better, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't really make him look, but look him all that great. Uh, other guys that are going to be definitely out. There's guys that got dinged up like Joe Mixon got dinged. 
dinged up. Looks like he's going to play. Juju Smith-Schuster got dinged up. Looks like he was going to play week two. Tevin Coleman looks like he's going to miss time. Uh, that still is probably a running back by committee with Breida and Mostert in San Francisco, so I'm not sure we can take a ton from that. Devin Funches was is out for the Colts. I'm not sure that's a huge needle mover, maybe for their secondary stuff. They did look not too bad considering that they went into the season without their starting quarterback. Uh, they, they at least hung with the Chargers on the road and ultimately lost. So th those are the, really the big injury news. I think, obviously, though, the, the Hill one is the biggest, uh, followed probably by Nick Foles, and then there's just some of these other secondary guys. And as the week goes on, maybe we'll just we, we'll get some more injury information. Maybe some things were worse than expected, uh, but we'll kind of know that stuff later in the week. Uh, any other things that were, what other things stood out to you? Um, so some of these wide receiver performances, we saw huge games from rookies. Like, you know, so Chark had a huge game, Hollywood Brown for the Ravens. I've just went complete. He was on the field for like easily the lowest wide receiver snaps and caught his four targets for a million yards and two it touchdowns. Was tired. The what do you want the guy to do? He's just catching 80 <laughs> yard touchdowns. You want him to just march right back on the field after you know, running the hundred yard dash with crazy men trying to tackle him. Like, it really was funny. Like watching, I did watch part of that game and watching the Ravens, not to go into this too much again, but watching them play the Dolphins really looked like one of these college football games where, like, Baylor's taking on, like, some secondary <laughs> secondary school and the there was a 40-point you know, line the, before the game started and you're kind of wondering. <laughs> you're, you're just wondering, there and you're like, okay, these guys are just too fast. This is this Yeah, is like, they're, they're just, right, they're, these guys just can't hang. So now the question is, can they actually beat them by 40? Because that's, that's what the books are hanging right now. So <laughs> it, it, it kind of, like, some of the plays that they were running just did, did actually look like that. Do we want to take anything from some of these rookie guys? Because, I mean, rookie wide receivers, they, sometimes you can dream on these guys mclaurin was another guy that had a big game um how much do we want to go crazy with some of these early out of nowhere i'm going to call them out of nowhere wide receiver games or do we still mm. need to continue to take a wait and see approach because some of this does feel a little outlierish to me right so i think there's two different ways to look at this so first of all uh, we always have the opportunity angle uh, that we normally break down by targets and then we have the talent level and so you know like if you look at two different players, let's say uh, Jamison Crowder, who led the entire NFL in targets last week, and Hollywood Brown, right? Like those are two very, very different players um, that you're going to be excited about for different reasons. And probably in different types of leagues, uh, you'll be more excited as well. One thing I will note, though, is that these young explosive players, after they have big weeks, very frequently... Um, they become public plays and the price comes up to the point where they stop being a value. And this is why, you know, we're kind of seen as, you know, old and stodgy in the industry is because it's very rare that the hype will, you know, be or that the actual substance will equal the hype. Right. And so, you know, just having one huge week, I think McLaren's a great example of this. He's targeted just seven times, rolls out 125 yards and a touchdown. I just don't think you can you know, pencil him in every time he gets seven targets that he's going to turn that into 125 yards and a touch. I think Michael Gallup, uh, the same way there in Dallas. And so, um, and DJ Shark Jr., I think the same exact story, four, four targets for 146 yards, right? So I think for those guys, you know, basically if you got single digit targets in week one and had one long touchdown catch or whatever, that's going to be a guy that I'm not super, super interested in because the price will rise um, when my assumptions about the underlying talent really haven't changed. Um, but I do think there are some guys that we can get legitimately excited about early that might still be a little bit cheap. Uh, I'm curious to know what you think about Deshaun Jackson. He goes out there, you know, we know we, he was a guy we actually talked about on the podcast last week. Um, you know, hat tip again to Scott Barrett for pointing this out. But uh, he pointed out that when Jackson has played with good deep ball quarterbacks, he's been a totally different player. 
than when he's played with bad deep ball quarterbacks, a la Jameis Winston. Goes back to Wentz, who's been a top three guy in throwing the deep ball and still looked you know, pretty special, hitting some incredible throws last week. Jackson, 10 targets, 154 yards, two spectacular touchdowns. Is he a guy that we could see moving into, you know, back into the old school Deshaun Jackson role or, you know, being sort of a, a good facsimile for um, Mike Evans, right? I mean, Jackson going into this week, just 6,600. Is he going to be a highly owned guy? Yeah, he might be. Um, I Look, this has been his, the name of his game, right, is downfield stuff. And sometimes that's a high-variance approach because if that's what those are the routes you're going to run, then you can easily not get there. You can easily not get there on those routes. Or the, or, mm-hmm. or the other team can just say you're not going to have that route and you can have everything underneath. And now all of a sudden he's out of the game and they're, you know, it's it's Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey and these guys that are running some of these shorter stuff, they're going to get theirs because the other team's made an over-adjustment. I don't want to go crazy on him as, like, all of a sudden a double-digit per-week target guy. That's just really not his M.O., and and they do have so many weapons on the team. I think this strikes me as a situation where they found something that they was just working and they just exploited it. And I just don't see him as a double-digit target guy every week. I think that's where I land. Now, mm-hmm. do, is it worth to take him up? I, for sure, because this is one of those new team, new quarterback. And if you busted out of the gate week one with this kind of performance, then it's just not that's not something that's going to go away, especially when you have a guy like a proven guy like Wentz and a proven guy like Deshaun Jackson. I think those are the things you can really sink your teeth into. And I don't want to all of a sudden make him, I mean, there was a lot of guys that had double digit targets. So maybe double digit targets just aren't what they used to be as the, the, the league just continues to go more toward the more and more toward the pass. Like just tons of guys had 10 or more targets this week. So I think we can safely love him for the upside. I do think you're probably going to see some ownership on him. I'd be a little wary that other teams see it and say, oh, that's the plan with him. Okay, we're going to kind of start handling it this way or something like that. So um, that'd be my only concern. And he had a great game. I mean, these numbers are sick. The 154 and a touch is just, or two, excuse me, two touches. That's that's the stuff that wins you a million dollars, basically. So um, I just don't want, I really don't want to go crazy on it. And I, I do feel like that with a lot of these guys near the top of this overall, just like yards list. Because if you look down the list, it's really funny about how many receptions some of these guys had. There's one, two, among the top 10 guys in yards, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them had seven or less catches on the on, on the week. Like That's just not a sustainable, those aren't sustainable stats. So I'd say probably pump the brakes on a lot of these guys. Deshaun Jackson would probably be the one that I'd say, you know. Well, can I, can I, I give you a post-hype sleeper who um, looked phenomenal in week one as well? John Ross? Yes. Why, why did you actually have to guess it? Can you can you oh, just, time to say like? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, no, you got it. Yeah, exactly. John Ross. Yeah. I I I. According to his Yahoo page, um, John Ross goes out there. So John Ross was selected ninth overall in 2017, and basically since then has done absolutely nothing. Right. <laughs> and then comes out last week. Uh, when everyone sort of thinks uh, Tyler Boyd, and Boyd actually had a decent week, so you know don't want to throw water on him or anything, but uh, Ross goes out there, 12 targets, 158 yards, two touchdowns, you know, exceeded uh, Deshaun Jackson in both total target share, yardage, and touchdowns. So just has an absolutely phenomenal week. Uh, he's like 1% owned in season-long leagues. What's the steal, or what's the deal with John Ross right now? Because Ross can still be had essentially for a song uh, for DFS purposes at 6,400. Um, you know, in that same price range as guys like D.D. Westbrook, is he a guy that you're willing to tick up just a little bit? I mean, you know, it's kind of weird because nothing was really changed in Cincinnati, right? But that at least, I feel like when that something like that happens with a guy that does have pedigree level talent, 
it at least tells me something. But I'm curious to know what you think there. It's funny because I actually mentioned him on one of the podcasts that we did last week as a guy who, when we talked about who would get, just who could see more target distribution was clearly Ross. And then if you look at his numbers from last year, they were so abysmal. I can't. Oh, and the efficiency, the efficiency is just is like otherworldly bad last year. Like he caught thirty six percent of his balls last year. Like it's that terrible is, in every facet of the game last year. That is so. so bad. And so when so the fact that he kind of turns it around, I look the talent was clearly there to warrant the draft pick. So I don't think people have at least at some point the pedigree, you know, is there. And does he all of a sudden like just not have hands of stone anymore or Andy Dalton's pass is getting better? I'm just not sure because right. this is a guy that was one for five, one catch for five on five targets, one catch for five targets, one catch for five targets. Those were the last three games of the season last year. I can't remember if Dalton was hurt for that, but yeah, he caught 20, he had 58 targets last year. He caught 21 of them. It's just, it's, it's really as bad as you can get and still be, able, yeah. be uh, still be given chances. So it's encouraging. Um, I'm still going to probably keep his, the conversion rate on his stats Maybe that gets ticked up a little bit and the targets get ticked up a little bit, but I'd still be very concerned that this is a guy with a fairly long track record of not being able to catch the ball between and it's either him or one his year. Or... He has one one bad season is is his fairly long track record. Fifty in football, like a one long season is kind of a long you don't get you, It's not it, though. That's that's a that's a third of a season's worth of targets for the top receivers, right? Fifty eight targets is nothing. Uh, no, I agree with you. I'm just saying that you have to. The football sample sizes are a little different than other sports. Like you don't get, you just sometimes sure. just don't get it. You just don't get enough time. These guys get hurt. You know, we talk about we're going to talk about injuries every week. Sometimes you just don't get enough time to see what the actual truth is. So, um, no, I'm encouraged by it. It's great. He was he, again. He was another guy that can you know start thinking about dreaming on a million dollars if you start seeing his line based on what his ownership mm-hmm. was this week and. I don't want to go crazy. I always get a little worried too about these guys on just bad teams. Like Cincinnati still looks pretty bad, um, and so I'm always just a little concerned with these bad teams, just rostering wide receivers because things can just go sideways, <laughs> just go sideways pretty fast. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, we're gonna save some of this stuff because we're gonna talk about this in the game by game breakdown in the cash uh, podcast that we'll do later in the week. I do want to talk quickly though about running backs and what we learned about uh, just running backs in the NFL at this point. And if we are, because one thing I would say that was was pretty much the same is the guys that are going to be the workhorse backs that we kind of suspect expected to be them still the the names are still kind of there like christian mccaffrey these are the these are the overall leaders in just usage uh rushing attempts plus targets number one was christian mccaffrey with 30 and that was a guy we're going to pat ourselves in the back with this one again because he was in all of our DraftKings lineups uh, pretty under owned and he was the base, basically the best running back in the day, so it felt really, really good about that. So that, but that's not a surprise, right? Like he can, continues to be one of these elite usage guys. Le'Veon Bell was second with 26 touches. Um, people expected that to be the case. The only reason that they didn't go into Week One was because uh, Gage had kind of said that they were going to ease him into it, and he then played all 72 snaps on offense. So that was a lie. He just he was on the field all the time. So I think we can go there with elite usage. David Johnson was third with 25. Marlon Mack was 25. Those were all carries uh, as he was just ran all over them. And then you mentioned Jacobs and then Dalvin Cook and Chris Carson. Like the, none, As opposed to the wide receivers, those running backs, none of those were surprises. Does that make sense? Like, Do you think we need to readjust any of our thought process on any of these running backs going forward, maybe outside of Jacobs and just tick him up a little bit? Or is this just kind of what we expected from this elite group of guys? Um, well, yes. I think we have a lot more a lot more of a clear situation about what the running back situation looks like in the NFL uh, than some other positions. I will say I was like a little discouraged by Chris Carson's uh, usage in particular. So um, Carson goes out there. He has 15 of the 25 carries in Seattle. 
I think that's lower than, you know, again, the absolute chalk ownership that he had. Uh, but he was used in the passing game more than I expected. He was the highest targeted player on the field there. Um, I guess I, I, I feel like a little bit like we just get away with something when a guy like that has two touchdowns, when he's very inefficient and not very effective when he's actually on the field. So I'm not as bullish on him as I am some of those other guys that you listed. But yes, I think if we're looking for... When we're trying to evaluate week one, and this maybe sounds like stupid statistically, but I think it's actually sound, things that confirm our preseason uh, biases, I'm going to be more, I'm going to take more seriously because we had all this data suggesting that things would go a certain way leading into week one. And when they continue to go that way, I'm like, okay, yeah, we we were right. And the previous data matches up with what we're seeing so far because a lot can change in the offseason. Um and like the wide receiver situation, I'm taking a lot less seriously because it's just one week. And I just don't think we're going to, you know, all of the top guys, you know, all these first round picks like, you know, Adams, Jones, et cetera, that they're all going to suck now. And it's just going to be the year of Michael Gallup and, you know, DJ Chark Jr., right? So, um, so yeah, running back definitely seems a lot more sane. I think one thing that's kind of apparent right now, at least early on, is that if you're looking for floor in cash games, going with these known running back commodities is probably going to be a better strategy than trying to get your floor at the wide, wide receiver position. By 100%. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. And I think that's going to end up being a drum we beat all season long is that outside of injury situations, which we haven't, haven't cropped up in. And actually, it's funny. I was going to say outside of injury situations, and I'm going to even amend that to say outside of injury situations on certain teams because we've seen injury situations on some teams. Like, for instance, we just saw Tevin Coleman go out for the 49ers. That is not going to make any of these guys bell cow running backs, right? That's just not going to happen. We've seen what happened. We mentioned it before. The aforementioned Tevin Coleman when Devontae Freeman was out. And that, that, by the way, that played out exactly as we thought it would in Atlanta where it's just Devontae Freeman and Edo Smith still kind of share the load. Even – so, and I and, and then uh, there's a couple of these situations that I'm curious about. Maybe maybe we should just have to save this. There's so much to talk about after week one um, that I'm not sure we can get totally into. We'll probably have to wait for the game by game to talk about what we saw like in the Rams and Gurley, um, what we saw in Pittsburgh with Connor. Like there's some interesting sla- interesting situations that are not like what we saw last year that are going to make this top group of guys, this McCaffrey, Bell, um, David Johnson. I think Zeke is going to be in this group. I think, right? Like, uh, but um, the Pollard did play a little bit. Um, it's going to make Dalvin. Well, that was just because they were. I mean, we knew going into that game that he was Zeke was only going to get twenty to twenty-five snaps, and I think based on how effective he was compared to Pollard, I would expect that in short order he's going to be touching the ball twenty times a game again. Right, exactly. So this group of guys, Dalvin Cook, I think I'm probably prepared to put him in that back in. Yeah, that group. I, mean, I am too. I was reluctant about that, but that was that was a good call by basically everyone except me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. He was super efficient too. Like we got, they kind of got lucky. Yeah. We we kind of were flirting with him in cash games. I know he was a chalk play. Kind of got lucky that the game got out of hand late, and they just turned it over to um uh, Madison. Um. So that yeah, they were up 28 going into the fourth quarter. Right. Exactly. So I think that group of guys is just going to be the group of guys that we see there all season long. And we're going to discuss some of these other ones, like Kamara, like Gurley. Um, there's a couple other ones that we're standing, like Fournette, the KC situation, as we go into the game-by-game breakdown. I, we're going to have thoughts on Eckler. There's just a bunch of Kerry and Johnson. There's, the list is pretty long here about guys that are flirting with this kind of role, but not totally I mean, we're, there. We're yet. only a half an hour in now. Should we just do some of that now so we don't have to <laughs> talk about it so much at the game-by-game Yeah, breakdown. for sure. I mean, so let's look at some of these other guys. Like, what do you take about Kamara, uh, Kamara from week one? He only carried the ball 13 times. They give, did give the ball to Latavius Murray six times. He didn't wasn't the total, you know, 10 carries that we saw at times Mark Ingram get. But what do we make? He's, he caught seven. He got eight targets in the passing game as well. 
it was a game that was pretty close all the way through with possessions on the Saints side. What do we make of Kamara's first game? Do we th- are they trying to ease him in? They've always kind of had kid gloves with him, I, I, you know, but he was a very high draft because the skills were there, obviously. What do we do with a guy like Kamara? Because his price came down a little bit, and he's in a pretty good situation going into week two. Yeah, I mean, he had 160 yards from scrimmage and 21 touches, so I, I'm not like done with Kamara yet by any stretch. Um, you know, it was a it was a weird game in a lot of ways. Like Houston goes up, New Orleans comes raging back. Uh, Watson hits Stills to send it to overtime, and then we just get a little a wimp. It ends on a whimper, um, or not to overtime. Sorry, it ends. The whole thing ends for a whimper with Houston, where Will Lutz just kicks his fifty-year-old field goal. Like it was just kind of a, just an absolute crazy ending. Um, and Kamara through it all, you know, was involved whether they were up, down, you know, inside, outside. I think he is sort of what people expected him to be. It's still a guy I don't always feel super excited about playing in cash games, but yeah, I think you can count on him for twenty touches a game. Uh, I'll kick it back over to the other side on Houston, though. Um, that's just this isn't probably going to be too long of a discussion but uh, I don't think many people saw that as a full-on running back by committee but very clearly was I mean Hyde actually led the team in touches for most of the game and then Duke Johnson sort of came on later but that's not a situation where you're going to touch any of those running backs I don't think so their favorites going to this week Duke Johnson did out snap him 42 to 25 so I think the plan is just to have him on the field more but they but those he was on many more passing downs right um so because Hyde was clearly like he, when Hyde was on the field, 25 snaps, 10 carries, it was all, the signal was if Hyde's on the field, we're basically running the ball. With Duke Johnson, it was less clear about what the right. plan of attack was. I'm always curious about what the situation like that is going to warrant going forward. Again, because you know we talk about where we want to play running backs at home, big favorites. Houston definitely falls into that category, nine and a half point mm-hmm. favorites against Jacksonville this week. And you're not you can't give Duke Johnson 15 carries, right? Like just it's just it can't happen. Because actually, if, if anything, if they're winning a lot, if they're winning by a lot, it is just going to Carlos Hyde running the game down so you're just like that's just another situation there's very few situations in the NFL right now with running backs that you can pencil in for something like 20 touches um you know between the carries and the targets that list is every year it seems like it grows a little bit shorter a little bit shorter and I feel like we're in a situation now where we're going to be trying to sniff those guys out on a week-to-week basis and there just aren't that many of them um yeah there was a couple other running back like you know, let's talk about Todd Gurley while we're, we're talking about it Gurley this week, just all the fears about whether Todd Gurley was going to come back and be the guy that we saw last year uh, when he was just on like a you know, record-setting offensive pace from scrimmage, uh, it, they're totally confirmed, right? Like he carried the ball, he carried the ball 14 times. Malcolm Brown carried the ball 11 times. He was barely targeted in the passing game. Is it time to like, are we just is Todd Gurley just cooked? I, I don't know. That was the first game of the year. I, I can't imagine they're saving him. <laughs> they were the game was close. Like, what do we make of a, of the Gurley situation? Is he just? No longer Todd Gurley, running back by committee through and through here, can no longer really consider him, even if the price were to drop to like, I don't know, 6500 or like low 7000s Well, yeah, I think actually I was pretty encouraged just, you know, in terms of like real life football, how the Rams deployed him. I think the Rams probably learned their lesson and I think that they are trying to sort of ease him back in because Gurley was excellent on the 14 carries he did have. I mean, he, the guy averaged 6.9 yards per attempt for 97 yards. So he was really, really good. Uh, when he was out there and I think they're just trying to go slower I think they have Super Bowl ambitions I think they feel like it really hurt them uh, that he wasn't there to deliver in the playoffs and sort of learn the hard way that you can't give a guy a ball 30 times a game and and have it amount to anything good right so I don't think it's going to be good for our DFS purposes um, but good on good on the Rams for you know going a little bit slow at least to start the season when these guys are at their 
probably worst level of shape um, that they will be throughout the season. Um, a couple of other situations that I think we learned a lot about, uh, Austin Eckler, you know, people were very concerned about him sort of splitting time with Justin Jackson. He out carried Jackson two to one, and then also had seven targets for 96 yards and two touchdowns in the passing game. Uh, Jackson targeted just three times, caught one of those balls. I think we can pretty, it's actually a pretty similar situation to Kamara and Murray to me, uh, where Eckler is sort of in the Kamara role. And I think that's going to be worth something going forward. So people were a little gun shy in terms of rolling him out there for cash in week one. The price has gone way up now. He's 7,500. So I don't know that you can probably even play him in DFS still, but for big tournaments, he's the type of guy who could just get you 200 yards and two touchdowns. So certainly a guy to keep on your radar right now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a couple other situations like that didn't really crystallize the Green Bay running back situation between Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams did see a lot of passing uh, work in the passing game, so that's not all that encouraging if you thought Jones was headed for uh, maybe just the mm. full workload. What we saw against the Bears in week one was not encouraging from that perspective. Uh, yeah, just other notes I had, like uh, Giovanni Bernard outsnapped Joe Mixon 2-1 to one this week. Part of that was that they were down and he was part yeah, of the passing game. Yeah, and Mixon game. got hurt too. Uh, oh, that's right. He tweaked himself. I have made a note about Mixon being hurt, and I just kind of didn't associate it with what was going on there. Uh, an interesting one actually was um, the Buffalo situation. Devin Single. This is the, this is the Buffalo uh, running back snap situation. Devin Singletary, forty-eight snaps. Gore, nineteen. That's when the that, that was kind of a lot of those relate to. And then T.G. Eldon, too. Um, does it seem like Singletary might just be a guy that we can maybe just bump up over? If we were taking a wait and see approach on what they were, what sort of the plan was, does the fact that he was more than double Gore snaps make you encourage that we can maybe just be a little more bullish on his projection going forward? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think you know, even in those snaps, he only had four carries, right? So um, he did. He was well used out of the passing game. He was targeted six times, caught five of those for twenty-eight yards. He's definitely going to have value going forward. The big question is, I mean, with how bad many people perceive this Buffalo team to be. How often are they really going to be in a position where the running backs are going to get more opportunity than they were in this game, right? In a close game with the Jets. So um, if there is a week, it'll be this week coming up against the Giants, uh, another one of those terrible teams. But I'm not like super bullish on Singletary's prospects, on certainly not if you zoom out to the whole season, but you know, he will have three more games against the Dolphins and Jets, right? So there's there's gonna be a few opportunities to play the Bills running game. But I guess I didn't take I didn't look at that week and think, hmm, this is a guy. Like he's certainly not cash game viable, even at just fifty seven hundred on FanDuel. Yeah, I totally agree. Just a couple final notes. We will just get out of here now. Patriots open this week as eighteen and a half point favorites. That's the biggest spread yes. over that's the biggest spread over the last four years. It's as far back as I looked. Um, our, our database is actually pretty current or doesn't go back a ton and ton of years. It's basically since we started the business. So uh, that's but that's easily the biggest spread of during that time. Uh, they are a team that uh, I don't know if they're going to go in the feed or not, but it's unbelievable they're not going to add Antonio Brown to this team. Like after just ab- just laying waste to the Steelers in week one, and now they're just going to add, you know, arguably, I don't know, wherever you want to rank them. Let's not go further than the top five receivers in all of football, uh, something like that. To this offense, so it feels a little weird. Uh, Baltimore opens as thirteen. <laughs> Baltimore opens as thirteen-point favorites against Arizona. Was kind of impressed with Kyler Murray, uh, just kind of engineering a late-game comeback. Even though we did get a tie, it only took one week to get a tie. So if you thought yes. if, you had, if you had bet the if you had if you had bet the oh, the under half a tie in the season, it was bummer to just lose that in the first week. <laughs> if that if that's the kind of way you roll in terms. I was of so depressed, by the way, just like following that tie. I think I texted you in that last drive. I was like. I need Larry Fitzgerald to catch a touchdown and the two-point conversion, and then like things are looking good because I had actually, uh, you know, some interesting sweats going on that involved Kenny Galladay and Fitzgerald, and 
Fitzgerald goes down and catches the touchdown. Two-point conversion. By the way, this is guys that I'm higher on now. Larry Fitzgerald absolutely qualifies after seeing uh, what happened in week one there. But um, And then we just go into overtime, and then they're just playing Raz out there, just sitting there. Yeah. They're like, just everyone's staring at the clock like, we can leave this week with a tie? Okay. <laughs> like, it's not a loss. We just run it three times and then kick it as absolutely far as we can. Uh, I'm so depressed. I just Can you pass to Kenny Galladay, please? Um, and uh, on that note, too, I'm probably a little lower on Galladay than I was going into week one. I was I was pretty bullish about him taking over, uh, but it looks like with Hawkinson there, Galladay was well. No, it's Am- it's Amendola. Um, it's Amendola. Amendola had seven. Well, Amendola too. There, there's just a number. There's there's more cooks in that kitchen than I realized going into the week. And given that Galladay was the least efficient of all of them, it's hard to imagine like the Lions looking at the tape and being like, "Nah, we got to get the ball to Kenny more, man." Four catches on nine targets. Like, yeah, yeah. So a little sad about that one, but um. But yeah, nice tie. Good, good job, everybody. Yeah, uh, I was anyway. Like Kyler Murray is, is a viable fantasy quarterback because we actually had him in our mm-hmm. late DraftKings lineups, and I was a little. It was because he was cheap, and I was kind of counting on just even if he were to make some mistakes, he'd kind of get there with his legs. That's that's. I mean, sure. I I wasn't. I don't type in the projections and like give him a number that I think he's going to score. This is just <laughs> like where we kind of landed with his projection, and he was in those the, those late DK lineups, and it wasn't looking too mm-hmm. good. And then the second half, what he did in the second half, brought it all back, and those lineups ended up crushing as well. So it ended up being <laughs> ended up being a win, and it didn't look like it was going to be the case but hey he's a rookie quarterback and looked like you had kind of figured things out by the second half all right we'll be back later in the week talking talking cash games i think our schedule might get bumped up a day we're not really sure we had really nice listens last week so we're encouraged by uh just the the listenership on the podcast want to get this stuff maybe possibly out a day early uh we'll be we'll know that in the next couple days but we'll be back with a cash game podcast as well as a game by game breakdown where we just roll through all the stuff take a look at the matchups take a look at the usage take a look at where we think things are going and where how sort of our lineups are taking shape as always you can go to dfsr.com slash deals and get a free th- i think it's three day might be seven day trial it's a free trial no matter what uh, you get a free trial to a projection system it's powered by our good friends over at lineup lab it's optimal lineups for fanduel and DraftKings, nfl mlb still while that season rolls along we covered all under one subscription package so go check it out dfsr.com slash deals buddy talk to you later in the week when we talk cash games for fanduel and DraftKings. peace